Go Wild is a free social community created for and by hunters. This means that unlike mainstream social media, your trophy pictures won't be censored. They're encouraged. As you spend time on Go Wild, you will earn awesome rewards such as gift cards, free swag, and big discounts on brands like Garmin and Vortex. You will even earn $10 just for signing up. Visit DownloadGoWild.com and sign up today. The Southern Ground Hunting Podcast is brought to you by Spartan Forge. It's forged in combat and tailored for hunters. Spartan Forge stands at the nexus of machine learning and whitetail deer hunting to deliver truly intuitive and science-based products that save the hunter time spent scouting, planning, and executing their hunts. You can start your free 14-day trial today by visiting SpartanForge.ai and you can use the code SOUTHERNGROUND, that's all lowercase, all one word, SOUTHERNGROUND at checkout, and that'll get you 25% off of your purchase. You wanting to know more about saddle hunting? Well, check out tetherednation.com for all your saddle hunting needs. Tethered is for saddle hunters by saddle hunters, and they're redefining ultralight hunting. If you'd like to support the Southern Ground Hunting Podcast, you can visit patreon.com forward slash southern ground hunting, or you can click on the link in the show notes of this podcast episode. We offer two different tiers for our patrons that offer a solid list of benefits. We'd love for you to join the Southern Ground Hunting community today. Again, that's patreon.com forward slash southern ground hunting. And now, let's get to the show. Hey guys, last year was a wild year for censorship for hunters and anglers. We've partnered with the social media platform Go Wild to combat mainstream social media censorship. Go Wild was built by outdoorsmen and women and by hunters and anglers just like you. Go Wild is a free social community. Not only are your photos not censored, they're encouraged on Go Wild. Go Wild gives you points for things like sharing your trophies, gear reviews, and inviting friends. And as you earn points, you start to unlock awesome rewards too, such as gift cards, free stuff, knives, huge discounts on brands like Garmin and Vortex, and so much more. Oh, and if you create a free account, you can unlock $10 just for trying it out. Visit DownloadGoWild.com to get started. Why am I not recording this right now? Oh, man. <laughs> Is that stuff that you would rather not go out on the air, Tanner, for everyone to hear? Oh, I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> well, oh, man, that was a way to start it. And yeah, unfortunately, we weren't recording for that. Uh, and I, I, I pressed record here because I didn't want to miss anything, but we literally just got on the phone with, tanner and uh it just kind of just started like we didn't go over any notes we just started talking about being a masturbator and as you can imagine that went (laughs) where that went and we don't have it recorded yeah first person ever made that joke too i know i know it man i don't know i i know the the masturbator joke has been used but i don't think i've ever heard anybody say what you said <laughs> i don't think that's ever been said before in uh, a public forum where it was produced so it was it was pretty epic man <laughs> oh well i guess it's good because typically we like to keep this pretty clean so we will uh we'll proceed today we've got tanner edenfield on the show and um yeah, we're just kind of, kind of, 
We're just, I guess this is the definition of an organic start because I was about to go over these notes with everybody, with you guys, but uh, I think we'll just get right into it. So Tanner, you're really good at corn and deer. Tell us all your secrets. <laughs> well, you just walk into the woods and throw corn out. Big bucks just come out of the woodwork. They just show up, huh? Yeah, it's just like fishing a barrel. <laughs> and that's going to be it, guys. Thank you so much for listening to uh, Southern Ground Hunting Podcast. This is our one and only episode about shooting deer over corn. And uh, I'm glad you all enjoyed it. Hope you learned something. So, hey, Parker, <laughs> so as a guy from not from Alabama, it is legal to hunt over corn in the state of Alabama on private land and, now, right? And Georgia, which is where Tanner's And from. Georgia. Okay. Alabama Are, actually charges you extra. <laughs> they do. Alabama, you have to buy a baiting permit. And if you get caught hunting over corn without your baiting permit, they will give you a ticket still. It's not just like a a right as a hunter. You have to purchase that right. Hmm. Thing. Interesting. I don't get it. I mean, it's, I, I guess, I guess they're more, uh, okay with yeah. making dumb rules for deer season than they are making crazy rules for turkey season. Well, they make tur- crazy rules for turkey season, but they don't make the right ones. <laughs> I don't feel like, but we, we, we don't have to talk about that. So Tanner, you're from South Georgia, right? Born and raised? Uh, middle. middle Georgia. Sir. Born and raised there. Tell us a little bit about what you do in uh, in Middle Georgia. Um, so what, hunting wise? Well, just life. Like, what do you do? I know, uh, you, I know that you. This could be a, a shameless plug for anybody who might be listening from Middle Georgia too for your business. So, yeah. So I own a painting company here in Middle Georgia called Edenfield Painting. Uh, we've been voted the highest our best painting company in the area like i think three out of the last four years or something like that um you know just living the dream up here that's awesome did you did you start your business just specifically because of kind of like not wanting to not wanting to have a boss that you had to submit days off to and stuff like that was that a reason for you yeah pretty much so i was in school um, my senior year of high school, I was dual enrolled in college, and so I wasn't going to high school anymore. And I kind of got spoiled because I only had to—I only had like two classes a week I had to go to. So I was working a little bit, and um, but I had a ton of time to deer hunt, and I was like, "Man, this is awesome!" And then, you know, I was <clears throat> through that. I kind of started a painting company to put me through school. I was going to go to school and be a lawyer. And then I ended up doing work for some lawyers and stuff and got talking to them and realized like it got to the point where I'm like, okay, they do not have any time to do anything they want to do. And then I was already, I was kind of at a point working on the side where just painting on the side that guy of being a lawyer, I was making more money than anything else I would do with the degree I was going for. You know what I mean? Cause I was like, okay, uh, there's really no point in this. So, uh, dropped out and been painting full time and I've kind of grown it to the point it can run itself during deer season and I can deer hunt. 
That's awesome. Talking about occupation, man, you can deer hunt a lot. Like I follow, I've been following you on social media for at least the last three years. You're hunting way more states than the average Joe. Um, so that's pretty cool that you was able to have the forethought to know, Hey, this is what I want to do with my life and run with it. And now it's, it's work. So congrats, man. Appreciate it. Getting there. It is cool. I, I'm, I'm like Adam. I think it's, I've, I've been watching you for a while and paying attention to your stuff. Actually, the first video I ever saw is probably the first video. A lot of people saw of Tanner Edenfield and that was, uh, him losing his crap in the street stand after he just shot a big buck. Uh, Oh yeah. That, that I gotta say, man, that, that video left a lasting impression on me. Yeah. It's funny because, you know, at the time, I didn't even know that that was, like, unusual. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like I had reacted that way to a few bucks I'd killed. I just, that was the first one that was on video. <laughs> That's funny. So, did you not know that crying over deer was unusual, or you didn't know that you had a goofy cry? <laughs> Either. <laughs> That was the first thing that I thought, and then of course now I know you. But that cry, and <laughs> I mean no offense by this, but that cry was unlike any other cry I've ever heard. It was like in the like first, it it sounded like a fake cry. Like I, I thought, there's no way that guy really cries like that. <laughs> I thought I it was mean, from the soul, I, man. Anytime <laughs> man ugly crying, it's not like. <laughs> Not the most cinematic, uh, photogenic thing you ever seen. Oh, that's awesome, man. It's, uh, you know, there's the video of, uh, Todd Pregnitz, uh, where he kills that buck Walter Payton. And that, yeah. that whole video just goes viral. Cause he's like, I mean, oh, yeah. it's, it's, it's so real. It almost looks fake. It's like, right. There's no way the somebody actually thing- cries like that. Right. At least his is like actually a big deer. (laughs) (laughs) I thought thought yours was pretty good though, wasn't it? I I did too. I thought it was a good deer. Yeah, he was like 130, but like, so like to somebody local or somebody from Florida, but like, if you're, if you're sitting in Iowa and that video comes across, like, why is that guy crying? (laughs) Well, at the time, at the time, how did that deer rank as far as deer you'd killed in size? He was he was my biggest deer at the time. He's still probably number three or four or five. I mean, he's still top five. Nice. Um, but yeah, and he was like so to me growing up. My dad had killed like one deer over 130 inches. So like in my mind, you get like one in a lifetime. Like, and that was my that was my one. <laughs> <laughs> that was that was a cool video, man. I'm glad I saw it. Um, cause then at some point you know, later on down the road, you came across on Facebook or something like that. And I was like, Hey, that's the, that's the crying dude. Um, (laughs) and, uh, you know, it's funny when you think about the things that like when I was in elementary school, this is, I'm stretching this. Okay. I'm going to stretch this. I, when I was in elementary school, I was known, uh, around the school because I could fart on command. Like, I could fart. Dude, we have to get like that in my school. I could fart <laughs> anywhere. And you look back and you think, like, that's weird that that's what I was known for. <laughs> the little farting kid. <laughs> the kid that around. could fart on command. 
That's awesome. But Tanner, what you've done, what I'm getting at here, there is actually a point behind telling everybody that it wasn't a flex. Um, <laughs> but Tanner, we did it. <laughs> I mean, I'm a pretty good farter. But uh, but Tanner, the, what I was getting at was um, what you do now is so it, it's not just like people watch your videos to watch you cry. You, you kill a lot of deer. You kill a lot of good deer. Um, and you're also probably like, you're probably one of the only YouTube hunters under 40. That's, uh, like not using a saddle that's still using a climber. And so people, (laughs) that's how I, that's what I thought. I was like, this is a YouTuber and he's using a climber. What in the world? Whoa. (laughs) Back to the farting thing real quick. I got one question about that. Does the air to fart come from inside to your body, or do you suck it up your butthole and then fart it back out? The, I, I, I have not mastered the art of sucking anything. Man, I just can't get out of that one. Um, <laughs> I, I, I have not learned how to suck air out with my butt. Uh, it comes, it, it has to come from inside, from from deep inside of you. You can't just keep on farting. You're just saving them all up till somebody's like, "Hey, fart real quick." <laughs> yeah. Farter Parker. I got you. Uh, Parker to Farter. Right. Um, but but you have you have you have killed some really good bucks in the last couple of years. Um, had some stellar seasons, maybe the last two or three years. Some really good seasons in other states. But um, what I was getting at with with the saddle and climber thing, um, you you don't fit the typical mold of people that we watch. Uh, on YouTube, like a lot of the quote-unquote YouTubers, everybody kind of has like this chip on their shoulder of hunting public land and uh, not killing deer over bait and not killing deer with a crossbow or, or don't kill a deer with a gun. There's all kinds of things that are out there. You have to be in a saddle. You have to go ultra mobile. And I know that you you may do all those things. I know you're not just a private land guy, but you've kind of developed this like no apology necessary attitude kind of against the status quo of what that space looks like. Yeah. I mean, I don't really, I just hunt how, how I deem best for a situation and how I grew up hunting. Um, I mean, at the end of the day, I'm going to do what I think is going to give me the best chance of killing a big buck. I mean, I'll, I'll hunt public if I if I think that's the best chance of me killing a big deer, but I'm not gonna I'm not gonna go to public land and shoot something I wouldn't shoot a hundred incher to say I'd kill something on public land, you know what I mean? Or I always get a kick out of these guys like go and shoot like a you know, be living in like a destination state and go and get in a saddle and shoot like a 80 inch yearling and say, Oh, got my first saddle kill on public land. And I'm thinking you live in a state where you could have went and knocked on three or four doors and killed a 150. Like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, 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 we talk about this a lot. It's everybody's different, right? Everybody wants right. something. Everybody wants, maybe wants something different out of a granted, uh, out of a given situation. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I really like your, your approach to the whole thing. And it's just something different. It's something different that I can pretty well trust that if I go watch a have bow will travel video 
that it's going to be not like the 15 other videos that just popped up on YouTube for me to watch. You know what I mean? I know that it's going to be something different. It's going to be something, some, you may be hunting a way that I don't really want to, uh, but regardless, it's, it's something different, you know, and it's, it's unapologetic. And there is a lot of that, like Adam, you may have this too. There's a lot of that, like roots stuff that comes out in watching one of Tanner's videos, right? Like you kind of go back to how things were when you, when you started in the kind of what the hunt looked like then, you know, when you had access to that kind of land. I believe if uh, a lot of people turned off their cameras that were on YouTube, they'd probably start hunting more like this. And yeah, it's like, okay, true. how do I find the biggest buck that I can kill and give me the best chance of killing it? They'd be doing using more of these tactics, probably. Yeah, Tanner, have you unapologetic? Have you uh, have you found people push back on that stuff, like on your different platforms? Yeah, for sure. Uh, get a lot of critics about hunting over bait. Uh, probably more than anything. And, but you know, it's funny though. It's always guys that live somewhere where baiting wouldn't even help you. You know what I mean? Like, like they'd be like, you're not a real hunter because you hunt over bait, but I go sit on a cornfield like a real hunter. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> it's, yep. Get it done. There's always these balances, right? That people, that people are, it's, it's not a balance. It's a pissing contest, I guess. And, and you've got to find, you really do have to find, like, what works for you, what you like doing, and doing it the way you want to do it. You know, if somebody wants to do that on a bait pile and a cro- with a crossbow, oh, well. You know, like, power to you. Yeah. Um, it, it's it's all, it's it, but so many people have this idea that unless you're doing it my way, you suck, pretty much. You know, you ha- you have to do it my way, but... I always try to find for me that there's some things that are ethical, ethical and moral and lawful, right? So there's there's ethics and morals, and then there's just laws, right? And so um, we brought this up last week, but the, the conversation about reaping turkeys is something for me personally that I would say is moral, right? It, the, just with the state of turkeys, not in and of itself, but with the state of what turkeys are doing. It's a moral issue there. Hunting over corn is not. <laughs> it really it really shouldn't be. Um, it's just the way somebody wants to do it versus doesn't want to do it. And that's fine. But I see your point, dude, about just this attitude that's like, you know, I can't believe you'd hunt buck over corn while they're hunting in a soybean field or whatever. It's all the same. Tanner, do you think that hunting over corn gives you an advantage at all? I mean, is that like a primary um, strategy that you go towards? It depends how you look at it. So if you told me, go kill a big buck in three days or I'm going to kill you, I would take a rifle and not go hunt over corn and feel like I had the best chance of killing a big buck or a mature buck, put it that way, um, rather than try to hunt one over corn. Um but my thing is I'm going to go get permission on 40 properties and I'm going to feed on all of them. And I'm going to find that top 10% of mature bucks and hunt those. And usually, and you know, just cause I found one that way doesn't even necessarily mean I'm going to hunt them over corn, but usually if I do it right, he's killable there. And by the time I find them, he's usually kind of killable there. And 
that tends to be the way I proceed or the property's so small. And if I wasn't feeding there, he probably wouldn't even be there. We, we hit on that last week in, uh, in our episode a little bit talking about the different scenarios. Remember Adam, the, the no. 10 acre piece, if, if you got 10 acres, only nighttime pictures on a corn pile, what would you do? Um, yeah. and, and it's kind of like what, it, pretty much what Tanner's saying, you know, like there's no other, if there's no other reason for him to be there, then your best chance is going to have be corn or a hot dough to come through there randomly at some point in time. Um, yeah. and that may get her through there. Yeah, exactly. That's, at the right time. That's true. Tanner, if you were to look at your, your wall or your, uh, just the bucks that you've killed, is there a, a percentage that you think that you have killed over corn versus not, or an estimate maybe? Uh, yeah. So are we talking, um, are we talking Georgia or overall? Hmm. I'd say overall. Yeah, over overall, and then Georgia, because I know there's some states that you do hunt where you're able to use bait as well. So, let's let's do overall first. Overall, I would say half and half. Um, when it comes to Georgia, the last few years, most of the deer I've killed have been over corn because I'm gone during the rut. So, I I kill a lot of deer in September and January on corn. Um, and that's not to say, I mean. Uh, I've killed them early and, well, I don't know if I've ever killed one late without corn. I've killed them early, you know, on acorn trees and stuff. But, like I said, the last few years, so, I'm kind of rambling. Um, no, not at all. I, I'd say maybe 50-50 overall. And then, if you look at Georgia overall, it may be, still might be kind of close to 50-50. And if you look at the last few years, I think they've all been over corn in Georgia. Go ahead, Adam. But you're but you're really keying in on like the time of year that you're killing those bucks over corn. You said January and September, so that's more like peak times to get them out in daylight uh, over corn. Yeah, pile. I mean, you know, I'm not here. Like I'm in all November. I'm gone. So like you know, in October you might get on some water oaks or maybe some white oaks falling, but. As far as I'm concerned, December is pretty much a dead month, and I'm gone all November. So, would be would December still be considered dead for you? So, typical rut time is going to be no, November. Um, is it dead even on those corn piles? Pretty much. Um, I don't know. I've had honestly, if I I think if I skipped the entire month of December, my whole life, I wouldn't have missed anything so far. Wow, that's crazy. I may have killed, I may have killed one buck in December. I uh, I kill probably ninety percent of the deer I kill in December. Uh, You're on a different yes. uh, timing though. Aren't you? It's a different rut timing, and so that's what I was. That's what I'm kind of sitting here looking at. Um, in our timing, that that low month would be January if our rut's through December. What your your December right. would be about our January. Adam probably still be your December. Yep. And then by the time January gets there, when those late season food sources could potentially be opening up, uh, your season's starting to run out. Yep. 
You know, that's just an interesting thought. I, I'm just kind of putting it all together of like, you see a lot of guys talk about this. They talk about, you know, you can't kill a big buck over corn, blah, blah, blah. You see people say that all the time. Obviously, we know that's not true. Um, but timing seems to be absolutely everything with that. If you're not timing it right, then it may not even – you may you may continue to believe that there's no right time to hunt a buck over corn. Right. It's funny, though, because they'll say uh, you can't kill – a mature buck will never come to corn – and then the next breath, they'll say it's cheating and it's too easy. But, um, and honestly, I think a lot of the people that think you can't kill a big buck over corn are hunting like corn feeders. Yeah, that's what I wanted to, I wanted to talk about that because um, where I'm from in Texas, like a corn pile might do something. I, I don't know. I've never used, really used a corn pile. Um, not much in texas but we did hunt over feeders all the time and if that feeder didn't go off at the right time right when we thought it should go off we kind of got our our hopes down a little bit um like man they couldn't hear that sound so you're saying the opposite though right like you're saying the timed feeders are more of a, a hindrance than they are a helper yeah so i've ran feeders like Growing up, my dad had a little bit of, uh, he had like 60 acres in Macon County. And um, just there, for example, I mean, we would run feeders year-round and never get a decent buck that would come to them at all, not even at night a lot of times. And then you put a corn pile like 150, 200 yards into the woods, and you may have, throughout the course of the season, you may have four or five decent bucks come to it. Um, now, I'm not saying... Uh, a mature buck will never come to a feeder, but I think it has a lot to do with like, did they have spin cast feeders where that deer grew up? Um, and then the other downside you have to feeders is like, if you ever, that deer ever finds out that gets any indication that that feeder is being hunted, then he's got to circle downwind or just not even come to it in the daylight most of the time. So you think they kind of uh, recognize recognize it as not a natural, not a natural thing? Like this ain't just a crazy looking tree. This is something, and and that makes a whole lot of sense. I mean, yeah, I definitely think that, and I think they just learn, like they learn an area pretty quick. Like for instance, I have a deer feeder in my front yard, and they those deer will stand there and watch me shoot my bow for three hours every afternoon. But as soon as if I were to start acting like I was hunting them, like climbing a tree over it and shooting at them, I'm on a bet within, you know, pretty quick, they're going to realize that is, that's a threat. So I want to talk, I want to talk about this placement, right? Like I want to talk about timing and I want to talk about placement. Um, so we've established that you don't, uh, you don't use a feeder for the reasons we mentioned. Um, you're dumping piles of corn out. What would you say your typical, like you dumping like a bag, you dumping two bags. Are you trying to, you know, to preserve it, I guess, let it last longer. Um, what's your, what's your system there? All right. So it depends. Like when, when I'm first, okay, let's just say that 
let's say I got permission on a hundred acres, right? So the first thing I want to do is feed and just try to get pictures of a buck. Okay. So then let's say I get pictures of that buck at like 3 a.m. And I'm thinking, all right, I'm going to give it three or four days. And if it ain't, he's still shown in the middle of the night, I'm thinking, okay, I'm nowhere near where this year's bedding. So I would go around. And I might go 200 yards in every direction and put out like 15 or 20 pounds and put cameras on it. And basically what I'm doing is trying to like get a picture of that deer closer to daylight. But the thing is, you don't want to put 100 pounds to where the deer eat on it for two weeks and he finally finds it. Like, like I'm not going to go like you want him like, you don't want him going out of his way to find it. You want to find out where he's at right away. So, like, you want to just – if I'm trying to find a deer, I might put out enough to last two or three days, and if he doesn't show up, I may try a different spot. Um, but the whole time, like, I would almost be kind of scouting, like, just like you were hunting. Like, like if I know that deer is somewhere on that property, I'm going to walk around and look for rubs or scrapes or anything to kind of tell me – give me an idea of where he might be bedding. Like the whole, the main thing I'm trying to do is figure out where that deer's bedding. And basically I would use corn piles to like, like the way a GPS uses satellites. Yeah. Like, like, okay, he's hitting this one. He's hitting this one at like seven right after dark. That's close to his bed and he's making it by here at 3 a.m. So he's, he's coming from this way. So then I said seven, but I guess if it was this time of year, it'd be like 10. Just say he's hitting an hour after dark. And I'm just, I would kind of just keep moving it until I feel like I got a pretty good idea of where this deer's bedding. Um, yeah, so you're just, you know, you're, down- you're going from a central location, spreading out in that direction. Okay, he came to this one, spreading out in that from that one every way okay well he went by this one it's just a gradual getting closer and closer to where he's at which involves a lot of corn and involves a lot of cameras correct right it does um and then eventually you know like here you're not gonna find like me and you can walk around all day and you're not gonna show me okay this was a buck's bed like you know, you take me to Ohio, I can draw an X on a map and a lot of times walk to it and there'll be a, a buck's bed there. Mm-hmm. But here you're like, the best you're going to get is, okay, his bed is this side of this clear cut. Like, but, you know, theoretically you could go find his bed, but by the time you do, you've done way more harm than good. Yeah. Yeah. I see so, what, I see exactly what you're saying. And here in the South, everything is so thick uh, there, everything's a good bedding area. So um, a lot of times they may not be using the same exact bed. They might be using the same area, maybe not the same exact bed, depending on the conditions. Um, but I like that. I like that visual because what so many people I think get uh, in their minds. And personally, this is the only way I've ever done it is I find the best spot on the map or find a good spot that looks like it has a lot of deer sign and I'll dump corn there. And if I don't, see deer there then or if i don't see a buck come in or whatever it's kind of like well i guess this isn't the spot i've never really done this like actively seeking and using cameras and and trying to 
find where this deer is with a corn pile. So, so first thing that you want to do is find the bed. Adam, did you have anything on that, um, on that subject? No, man, I, I was thinking around that bedding area too, just how hard it is to nail that down. So when you say, uh, the bed and, and like you was talking about, it's going to be hard to nail it down. When you think of a bedding area, you're like looking at like a hillside or, uh, maybe like a hundred yard type of, uh, area that this deer might be bedded in. And that's how you're trying to, to triangulate it down or. Pretty much. I mean, like if I, if I tell you, I found a, I found a buck's bed in Georgia, I might be talking about 50 acres. You know what I mean? Like he's coming and uh-huh. bedding in that swamp somewhere and he's coming out this side of it. And by the time I actually find it, I will have crashed through so much thick crap and sweated so much and boogered it up so bad. He might, he, he's like, yeah, I'm being hunted. <laughs> it's, it's interesting and it's good. So, so you've done all this. So let's just say you've, you found this buck, you found the area that he's bedding in. You kind of know his typical direction of travel. Um, where are you? So you, you're still going to hunt him over corn during season, right? That's what you said you've done so much of. Where are you going to start that process of finding the spot that you're going to kill him? So answer that and then answer me this too in the with, with the same thing is once you once you've found that first spot is that is your actual hunting location for that buck? Do you move the corn with different parts of the season? Um okay, so Say I found this bed, the first thing I'm going to do is look at, like, what I can access the easiest. Or, I say, when I say easiest, I mean, I don't mean easiest, like, easiest for me. I mean, like, easiest to get in and out without being spooked. Sometimes that's the hard, sometimes that's really hard for me. I mean, it could mean, it that could mean you walk two miles out of the way sometimes. But I'm going to look at what I think is the least intrusive point of access to get close to his bed and so close kind of a relative term for instance like if i was hunting if i was hunting something that i feel like it's pretty pressured i'm going to try to get real close because i don't think he's going to move far in daylight um i'm fortunate enough now that i've wrote enough letters and i've got some properties that i've kind of looked and found places that never get hunted and i've got some properties next to them so somewhere like that, I might only have to get three or 400 yards from where I think he's bedding, but be in a spot that I can hunt and feel like I have almost no chance of him, of bumping him going in. Um, anyway, so that would be, that would be number one. And I'll give you a couple of examples. Um, like one time I was on a hunting club that the interstate, ordered one side of it so there i know that i could i could go along and park and pop the hood of my truck and walk 10 yards to be right in a big buck's bedroom and there's zero chance of him crossing my scent trail there's nothing going on that's not he's not 100 percent used to and then if he wasn't standing under me when i climb down he's not going to hear me climb down and so, like a situation like that, if I had a good wind, I could hunt that deer every single day, and he'll, he would never know I was hunting him. And all he's got to do is make one mistake. 
Um, it's interesting. Or, but even like a power line or something like that. Um, the thing about hunting these big deer, say big mature deer over corn or bait, is like they're naturally all they. No matter what you do, what precautions you take, they always know that's not natural. So they're going to want to try to circle downwind. So that's why, me, it's really important to like. I'm generally going to be pretty close to like something I feel like they're not going to cross, for instance, or not going to want to cross in daylight. Um, for instance, that interstate or maybe right off a power line or even like a roadbed or a train track. Um, anything anything to kind of try to discourage them from wanting to circle. And then plus just your access of getting in, the, the more – you're going into the woods, especially thick stuff where he might bed, the higher your chance of bumping them. And there's a big, big difference between hunting a deer that kind of feels secure and hunting one that knows he's being messed with and knows he's being hunted. Do you, when you, uh, when you put out these bait locations and, and, um, specifically the ones that you're going to try to hunt, are you being real cautious about, uh, obviously, you yourself, you're shooting good deer. You know, you're not going out there to shoot a, a four-point or something like that. Um, but let's talk about, like, hunting does or uh, you bring a buddy with you to come out and hunt and shoot whatever. You know, just those kind of situations like that. Are you being mindful of, of like, hey, let's not let's not hunt this location. Like, if there's a big buck in the area, are you saying... I'm only going to kill that deer and only that deer in this spot for this season. Um, maybe not for the whole season because the average buck is going to move around decent amount throughout the course of the season. But um, pretty much, I mean, yeah, if I'm hunting a, a big buck somewhere, I'm not going to shoot a doe there. Um, now, I will tell you, like, for example, that interstate spot, I took my uncle there to try to kill that buck five or six year old, uh, I think it was an eight pointer, but probably wasn't 110 inches or something like that. And he'd never killed a deer with a bow and wanted to shoot a doe. So I let him, but had it been me, I, I wouldn't have. Yeah. But you get, like you said, you can get away with a little more in that spot. That makes a whole lot of sense. I always wonder if, um, like so many people who have private land, they're hunting it. Like they have their five spots. They hunt all those five spots. They may never change from season to season. They got a, maybe they got a corn pile or, you know, whatever there, some type of bait, a food plot maybe. And it's like, man, we're not seeing any big bucks. I, I often wonder if the reasoning is, is because it's always been, I don't wonder this. I know that to be the, the case because those spots have always been there. They have the idea that mature bucks don't come to these spots to bait piles or food plots or whatever, but it's really just that deer have just grown up to know we don't go to those spots. I'll tell you this. When I was a teenager, I hunted a hundred acres that five or six other people hunted. And I, it got to the point that I felt like I had to lie about what I was seeing to keep them from thinking I was lying about what I was seeing. Like, <laughs> be like, okay, Tanner, this is the fifth time nobody saw anything, and you're seeing six to ten deer. 
Like, but like you said, they're sitting in the same spot, so they sit every day, year after year after year. And I'm going out with a climber on my back and finding fresh deer sign and you know hunting that. Tell me this. Um, I, I don't even baiting was legal back then. I was just hunting, but with with hunting over corn, Tanner, do you um, do you still hunt? I gotta have to phrase this question right. Do you still hunt mobile? over corn piles like yeah because i run so freaking many of them i can't i couldn't afford to or have time to put a stand at every one of them i gotcha and plus i mean like i was saying before with moving them i might move it eight times before i actually like i'm not gonna hunt until that deer is showing up in daylight i'm not gonna hunt it so i might move it eight or ten times before I ever hunt it. So then when I get ready to, you know, I would go in and be mobile. Are you only running cellular cameras or you going in and retrieving cameras to check them? Um, both. I'm at a point now I'm, I've got probably 20 cell cameras. So, you know, I kind of keep them where I guess you'd say the most high priority spots. Um, that, that, that's something I've I've thought of too, Adam, is thinking about, you know, to be able to do this, to be able to, to hunt the way that Tanner is, even if it, a lot of it's just preseason, it seems like it's a lot of getting your scent out there. A lot of letting the deer know that you're there and you're getting closer and he's smelling you in different spots. Do you find that to be true or is it something you take precaution with you only access when the wind's right even when you're even when it's summertime or while you're trying to locate um are you being cautious about the amount of scent that you're going to be leaving out checking cameras and dumping bait piles and all that yes yeah, to me yeah yeah sorry uh adam i'm sorry um yeah i'm i'm cautious about it to a point whenever I'm feeding them. Um, but at the end of the day, a lot of times, like, especially if I'm close to the road or something, I mean, I'll just pull up, you know, like, like I was telling you, a lot of my spots, I try to stay close to something I feel like they won't cross. So a lot, most of the time, if you got permission somewhere, that ends up being like a road you drive down. And I don't have a problem like leaving my truck running and, you know, I'll be attempt to be scent free, rubber boots and everything. But, um, you know, when you're, when you are trying to get close to where a, a buck is bedding routinely, you're not, I feel like very rarely are you ever going to go in there and put corn out a bunch and him not know you're there. So kind of your best hope is to let him think you're the corn fairy until he's killable. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. You need a t-shirt. Um, Make him think you're the corn I fairy. Say, I will say I've had deer that like, especially somewhere that like doesn't get a lot of human activity that they may be, you know, really responsive to that, that little bit of pressure putting corn out. In which case situations like that, a lot of times you might be better off hunting them without it or, maybe better off 
I have had situations where you're better off going in and putting like eight bags out and come back in like a week and a half or two weeks. Um, it's been just, yeah, that, when, that makes a lot of sense. That kind of goes back to one of the first questions of um, like how much, how much you're actually, how much corn you're actually dumping down on the ground to, to try to right. decrease some of that pressure. But it sounds to me like what you're saying is it's all, it's all dependent on the situation and the time of year. So actually, when I when I when I went to answer that question earlier, I I guess I got off on a tangent. But once I found a deer and I know I'm going to be hunting them there, I put out like a freaking lot, like as much as you as I think I can before the next time it rains and it gets sour. Yeah. Do y'all deal with pigs out there too? Um, not generally. I have been on a club before that had them, and I've had a few show up where like you didn't expect them to but overall i don't have to worry about them yeah i I know for a lot of people listening to this are probably sitting there thinking like no we have to use feeders otherwise pigs just eat all the corn in one night that's another variable you know there's there's a lot of things to consider with this i think like are you hunting in a pine thicket if you're hunting in a pine thicket then there's not a lot of food at certain times of the year so corn is great um are you hunting in do you have a corn pile on an acorn flat? You know, is there acorns everywhere? And you got just a pile of corn and expecting deer to come to it? I don't know. Like, is that, do you, do you keep that kind of stuff in mind, Tanner, in where you're placing these corn piles, trying to make sure it's the only food source around? Uh, yeah, I do. Um, you know, really, almost any deer hunting strategy that anybody has ever told anybody that worked, especially any of that worked came down to finding what was the most limited resource for a deer and how to capitalize on it or capitalizing on how they get from one to the other. So like, for example, I've put corn out in Kansas just to test it. And over the course of a week, you may have one deer come to it and just take one picture. Like it's not, like, for instance, out there, food is not a limited factor whatsoever because they have corn and soybeans everywhere. But, yeah, so, like, the more the more that, the less they have to eat, the better it's going to work. Yeah. And, you know, the, the more can, or it could just be more convenient, too. Like, if a buck's bedded over here, and the acorns are wide open over here, then you know, you've always got a chance that he's going to come want to eat corn like in daylight before he heads over there. In the security cover. That makes a lot of sense. It's interesting. And that, honestly, me, that is the biggest advantage is like I can, if I find where this buck's bedded and he's bedded in the middle of this thick crap, I cannot, you cannot sneak in there and climb a tree and like get too close to them but you can put corn in a spot that you can get in and out of and you know hopefully get him to come to it and kill him that way it seems like a lot of it too and and probably the reason why i don't prefer it i guess is and it might sound bad there's a lot of 
thinking that has to go into where you put a bait pile. There's a lot of money that has to be invested in it, right? Like you've got, I mean, crap. Adam, how how much is corn in Tennessee right now? Or do you even know? I have no clue. It's since it's not legal here. And I oh, guess we could right. be dumping it out. Yeah, that's we could right. be dumping it out for trail cameras, but yeah. What's what's the bag of be... corn cost, Tanner? The last bag I bought was thirteen dollars. <laughs> oh my gosh. You talk about some yeah. money putting out. It's it, like and then the cameras. Cold. Like oh, you, yeah. you've got a lot, and that's probably the reason why uh, I would just prefer not to use it in most most cases. There's a lot that goes into it to do it the right way, and I, I just prefer not to. Now, that being said, right. I'd have no problem, Tanner, and you talked to me about going out there this past season. I had no, I would have no problem killing a deer over corn. I don't care. Yeah. It's funny because um, everybody – or. Critics talking like you're taking the easy way out to hunt over corn. I'm like, how? Like, <laughs> just, just the, okay, like my deer in Kentucky last year, like just the logistics of running 10 to 15 corn piles nine hours from your house. That, how is that the easy way out? <laughs> tell me, tell me about this, Tanner, because you, I, I do kind of want to talk about that specific deer from Kentucky because, uh, it, you you lease this property from a well known group, right? And yeah, uh, uh, and how did it, how did it all play out? Because you like opening day killed this giant velvet buck on this lease yeah. property. So basically, what happened was, um, I I got this outfitter. So basically, I paid them to let me hunt the areas of their properties that were harder, too hard to access for them to take clients and drop them off. So, um, is this something, is that something you've I, done? Have you done that before with other outfitters? That's how, no, this is the first one I've done that with. And Smart. was it a but, thing where they reached out to you or you just had this idea? Um, no, actually my buddy Weston did it the year before. Okay. So but, they, they do this occasionally. Yeah, I mean, you could call them right now and tell, tell them you want a membership, but... I got you. Everybody else that does that, does it, like, just for them to continuously put them in spots, but, I mean, you kind of have free range of it, and the thing about it is, like, you can't drive a side-by-side to it. Most of their clients don't want to walk and stuff, then you got to worry about people getting lost and stuff like that, so there's properties that, it might be a 1,000 acres, and 500 of it or 200 of it or whatever it doesn't even get touched. So what I did was I think I ended up making like four or five trips up there and probably took seven or eight cameras and um, I would just put four or five bags of corn out and put a camera up and um, I'd wait, you know, like maybe started going up, I want to say end of July. And uh, like I said, Weston had, he didn't end up even hunting with him last year, but the year before he did. So the first trip, he took me and showed me where all the properties were. And then, um, and he, to his credit, he actually showed me a couple of his spots too, because he wasn't going to be hunting it this year. But anyway, I, I went up and set up a couple of his spots, set up some new spots. And then I waited about two weeks, 
And all the ones that had good deer on them, I'd leave, and then I'd go make new ones. Other spots that looked good and with the cameras that didn't have anything big on them. And so I had, like, probably, I'd say, I probably had 10 or 12 deer on camera, most of them in daylight, ranging from, like, 135 to 170. Um, and I probably, shoot, I probably had 20 or 25 over 120 inches. That's incredible. By the time Ethan actually got there. And Calibre. then, so, I got there opening day, and the deer I really wanted to kill was this eight-pointer that was like, somebody killed him a few weeks later. I think he ended up being like 26 inches wide. Just, I mean... Like, you you never have another deer to hunt that wide. And uh, I, I'm pretty sure I had him under me opening day, and I had my phone in my my little mesh pocket of my leafy jacket. My sister called me and made my phone light up, and he spooked and quit showing up. So um, <clears throat> my second choice deer was, like, probably 160-inch, 11-point, that – he ended up getting spooked because I come to find out there's another guy hunting him with the wrong, like he was living in about 10 or 15 acres of thick stuff. There was another guy hunting him with the wrong wind. And so he quit showing up, which I actually found him at another spot. Because the day I killed my deer, I moved the camera to a different spot and then I killed my deer and then he showed up the next morning over there. But anyway, so the deer I killed was like, it's kind of like my backup backup deer but um which he ended up being like way bigger than i thought he was but uh that was a nice buck that was a good deer and you so you yeah. you you basically just kind of as good as you could you you invested the time invested the money for this out-of-state thing and got it as close as you could to the same process that you use at home Right, you just did as as good as you could. Yeah, pretty much. Um, And it's crazy too, because like my thing is, I've leased, I've I've leased a lot of land out of state, and you know, most of the time, if it's on Facebook or something, I've come to the conclusion it probably isn't worth it. But like, you know, if it was, if they were just stacking up big deer off of it, it would have never got posted on Facebook. You'd have fifteen buddies in line trying to get it, you know. Mm But anyway, like that's an interesting I'm, thought. Okay, I wasn't like, planning, I wasn't planning on getting into that, but finding the properties to lease, uh, a lot of people go to Facebook Marketplace, Craigslist. Uh, back in the day, we were on forums and stuff. There would be threads uh-huh. on on uh, AL Deer about hunting clubs that were available. But you're exactly right. I mean find other routes to do that yeah where are you going Tanner this is kind of my horror story on it there was a year that I leased 600 acres in supposedly the best county in Kentucky for $14,000 which was like every freaking dime that I had to my name to lease this property and I'm thinking I'm gonna kill a freaking giant you know and the plan was to sell some memberships and kind of get most of my money back which I ended up like making some deal like they weren't selling like i thought they would <laughs> so I, ended up, I did get some members on it but they got they got a pretty sweet deal and i ended up 
probably, I would say still seven or eight grand in the whole time it was all said and done. And then, so we never had a picture of a deer that I would say was for sure a poking young. Um, now I did see, I did see one that was probably over 150 in the middle of the rut. And I had one that was, I'd say 135 coming in every morning and evening before season and, uh, got hit by a car like three days before deer season opened. But the point was like, like leasing land, you just never know. Whereas this, this outfitter has so much land and so much of it that they weren't really messing with that I knew no matter what, if I, I had enough room that I could go find a big deer, like even if I didn't kill him, I'd have something to hunt. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's interesting. So, I mean, if somebody's taking notes on gaining access, maybe, maybe stay away from, even if it's the, I found that the best, the best clubs that I've been in are the ones where I just had a personal connection to somebody, you know, and they, and they, said hey we got a membership open or whatever you know that's always seems to be the best route i mean the best thing you can do is knock on doors or write letters um that's right but the thing is you start talking about some of the better areas in kentucky every thousand letters you write costs you 550 dollars and takes you all day it takes you probably at least a day and a half solid to write a thousand letters so yeah uh, time you do that you you come out cheaper just to pay somebody and go to work. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's uh that's interesting take on things. This is a great buck, man. A really nice buck uh, that you killed there in Kentucky. Okay. And you continue to do the same thing over and over again. I want to talk just for a second briefly, unless Adam has something else. You good? No. Okay. Yeah, go ahead. You look like you want to talk. You kind of had that like, like this like – tell me about your uh like your hunting method so um you know permanent stands versus mobile stands climbers saddles whatever i know you kind of have a mixed bag of tricks yeah so um i guess my number one would probably be probably be a climber now, granted, this year I tried out lock-ons a little bit more. Let me try. I'm going to be using them a lot more next year. Um, but I wouldn't. I don't have much permanent. Usually, if I have a spot that I think it's going to be good every year, I'm probably going to put a blind there most of the time. Um, and that's just because there's a certain way I set up my blinds for filming that literally makes you impossible to be seen. Um. So, like, if I have a spot that that I feel pretty confident I'm going to be hunting every year, I would put a blind there. But I wouldn't say it's really permanent. Just use, like, a little hub-style mm-hmm. pop-up. But, um, and a lot of the places I hunt, you can see better on the ground than you can up in a tree just because it's so thick. That's, but, a, that's an interesting thought. I've noticed in a lot of your, in a lot of your videos, it's like, thick 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 you you have a hard time even filming deer as they're walking you have like one little gap that you can see the deer actually come into yeah especially rifle hunting dude when you you start talking about hunting over bait that's part of the reason i don't go hunt much like you can literally kill i would say you can kill on just about any buck that ever walked the earth 
if you find where he's bedding and it's in some thick stuff and you cut a lane like a foot wide, like 100, 150 yards long, like you can kill that deer. Um, it's interesting. That's an interesting thought. I feel like you just gave you away the them. keys to the to the kingdom for a lot of guys. Are like what? Honestly, God, I mean, in my mind, this will be unethical. But literally, you can if you have cell cameras. Say you have 500 acres and most of it was thick. You can literally set up eight spots with cell cameras and just drive there. Like if you had eight spots with those little lanes, you could literally drive to like a hundred yards from it, sneak up on them, and shoot a deer. I mean, you could kill a big buck in one afternoon, probably. Like, so you're saying, but, like, you're saying, like, if you had, I'm if you had, do that. like, you think you, you think that's like a, a key tactic to it? If you're wanting to do this, set up a bait spot in a in a small lane. Kind of like that would almost be like cheating, but. But for some people, it's not. Here's the thing. It's, it kind of goes back to what we were talking about before. Like, uh, for for what you do, for what I do, for what Adam does, a lot of times, yeah, like, that's not necessarily the way that, that we want to hunt them all the time because we we know other parts. But for some people, they're trying to set up a property where they can hunt it the most effectively in the least amount of time. I think most people, that's probably their ultimate goal. Um, but, like... That's one other thing I wanted to touch on too. Like when you got when you're hunting over corn, a, especially a mature buck, I would say he's like twice as cautious or twice as investigative or something as he would be like something natural. But if you went in there and cut a lane a foot wide and just sit back there with a rifle, he can beat most of that because if he's circling, he's going to circle like. Uh, you know, maybe 80 yards or 100 yards downwind. Um, so, anyway. That's interesting. I'm not even sure how we, got, how we got off on this tangent. I don't know, but it was good. Like, yeah. to me. I'm, I'm still trying to figure out how he's cheating. This sounds like a pretty good tactic to a guy that gets like a couple of days to hunt a week. <laughs> so, I'm thinking yeah. about doing that. If you had eight lanes like that with cell cameras and you just sat there and drove up to whichever one had a buck on it, that wouldn't be cheating. Yeah, maybe not the well, yeah, the cell camera part. They'll take that out. Take the cell camera part out. But I'll tell you this, the deer that I called the sixteen, which he actually didn't even have antlers when I killed him, but I had but I had a set of sheds I'm putting on him. When I killed him, that's so, the, but by the way, like that. that was freaking hilarious. I loved that whole series of of videos uh i think it was a bunch of videos of you hunting this deer this specific deer it may have just been one video where you had every all the different hunts in it but when you finally kill him it was like you had this like vendetta against him you're like i don't care if he's got antlers or not it was like dude i don't that deer honest i will put my hand on the bible and i guarantee you i've probably hunted that deer over 200 times <laughs> It's like, I don't care if he's got um, antlers, he's going to die today. <laughs> and here, the crazy thing is, though, that deer, you'll never you'll never hunt a deer that's harder to kill than a deer with one eye. I mean, if a, if a bird landed on a tree on his blind side, he'd just take off running. Like, when I killed him, it was like the 12th or 13th time I'd seen him. But, but talking about a lane with a rifle, like, 
but that deer, I mean, it was just at a point I wanted to just get my life back. Like I'm thinking how many other big deer would I've killed in 200 hunts, you know? So I had a little lane like that and there was some way, like whenever I wouldn't hunt, usually like one out of three or four days, he'd show up right before dark and there was some way that that joker knew when I was sitting there, but there really wasn't any way he could circle. So I, I wasn't sure what he was doing. And I always, I wouldn't ever hunt it if I didn't have the wind perfect. But so finally what I did was I stayed away. I parked like 200 yards away and sat there until like maybe 15 minutes before dark and then eased up on it and snuck up on him and killed him. But that gave him time to think I wasn't there and come in. <laughs> you, I know you're laughing about it because you think it sounds like you're cheating, but here's the thing about a podcast to me. The, the thing that makes a podcast valuable for the listeners is finding the most effective ways to do what it is that we're talking about, right? Yeah. Um, especially yeah. when it comes to deer. And so while for for you, Tanner, like at the point that you're at in what you do, in, in knowing having a lot of good bucks on the ground and having a lot of experience, for you, you're like, man, that kind of sounds like cheating. But for some people they're trying to figure out how to hunt their 20 acres that they've had in their family their whole life, and they can't figure out how to hunt it. And so if they gain this little bit of knowledge, it's like, oh, so I, I, could, I could try. I mean, the, the worst that's going to happen is you fail some more. I mean, but might as well try yeah. something like this. It kind of sounds like and, – and we uh, – just my dad's property, for example. So it's a 20-acre property in East Texas. And he's got, I don't know, three or four different spots set up with corn for varying wind directions or whatever. On the very back side of his property, there's a uh, like a pipeline or whatever cut all the way, all the way along his property uh, boundary on the back side of his property. And you can get in a corner there and be on his property and see down that fence line. And he's done it before, and the deer use it. I mean, you can see a deer all the whole length of his 20 acres. You can see where they cross. They all cross somewhere right there. So if that were on his property, we could literally sit right there on that pipeline and watch that and shoot any deer that walks his, his land. The pipeline isn't on his property? It is not on his property. That's why we don't hunt it. How long? How much of a perimeter of the pipeline down his property is there? That's actually on his property. Like, so, like, how much of a how? So, your dad's property borders the pipeline, right? It borders the pipeline. The fence runs the tree line on his property. How many yards is the border? Uh, I mean, you if you're standing on the corner, you have to lean out away from the fence or like lean out against the fence looking down the the property line on the other property so, so like that that <laughs> that side of your dad's property is it like 100 yards 500 yards i mean you can see all like nearly the whole length of the property <laughs> am i misunderstanding the question all right imagine you had a map of your dad's property right <laughs> 
How long is that side of your dad's property? Oh, like it's uh, I don't know, man. I would say a a mile, a a half mile, maybe. I'll tell you the point I was trying to make. Okay, I had a property where this guy. Okay, number one, have you ever seen my drone footage where? the deer were, would walk around a barbed wire fence in Kansas? Uh, yes, I believe so. Like that they'll, familiar. They'll, they'll go like a hundred yards out of their way to not jump a fence. Yeah, I know what you're saying. But, but I had a property one time that was like 25 acres, but it was all super steep to where you couldn't quietly walk down into it. It went down this big ravine over to this other neighborhood And I took a piece of string and tied it, like, maybe thigh high from, like, 50 yards outside of this old man's yard to this neighborhood. Dude, you wouldn't believe the amount of big bucks that would walk around that string. Huh. Manipulating the movement. You remember that spot, Adam, where we drug that kayak in Kentucky? You remember how there was that heavy trail right there where that fence opening is? Yep. That's it's kind of that that it's, same. It's like a yep. it's like a man made hazard, I think. Um, and and so Tanner, to your point, that's that's kind of what we've done on his property. Is is we have put all these or he has I, I say we he has uh, put all these different spots in these different areas where there's a reason for the deer to cross there. What I was saying is. While if you sit in one of those spots, you might see one deer that evening come through there, through that one spot. If you get on the, if you were to get on that, that pipeline side where you can see that whole thing, you'd be able to see multiple deer crossing from or to his property. But I think with what you're talking about specifically, you're talking about a a, a small, a really like a small lane unnecessarily small sometimes it feels like but it offers the deer the cover that it needs or that it desires from that bedding area is that kind of that's kind of what you're saying right well um first of all i'm sorry if i like interrupted you i'm i tend to be highly add but no not at all you haven't at all you're talking about seeing all these deer crossing if you could if your dad had a fence on his side or a, a string or anything, you could probably get them all across, like over on one side where you could see them all at the same spot. Or maybe not all a high high percentage. No, and it, and it wasn't it wasn't a, a an interruption or anything, and it and it's not a necessarily a rabbit trail. I wouldn't say because the point of this podcast and this episode with you is uh, most of it is talking about human manipulation to. Uh, full and deer, right? To into killing yeah. bigger deer, and so whether it's a string or a barbed wire piece of fence that you put up to manipulate that, or maybe you cut down a tree so they don't cross in the one spot. Um, you know, it, we're 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 trying to we're kind of out of the purest purest zone in a lot of ways, and we're talking about different ways that you can manipulate a private property, especially a lot of these smaller pieces like you've you've been talking about right i mean you have to a lot of times because if you you got a smaller properties you got to set it up 
be advantageous for you or you're not going to get three or four hunts out of it before you've ran the deer off. That's or, true. Yeah. I love it, man. Really make them off, but spook them enough to make them want to, want to, you know, circle downwind of wherever they're going or if you're hunting over corn, circle downwind of it. Yeah. Man. Of course, I, you can use that deer too. I, uh, I feel like I'm coming away from this. I've been hunting my whole life and I'm coming away with this from this with ideas for if I do have a, a small property or something like that, that I end up coming into, um, utilizing a lot of, uh, cameras, a lot of corn branching out from those locations to find where bucks bedded, um, continuing to stay mobile, watch my access. Um, and then if all else fails, cut a, uh, small lane through a thicket and it's easy at that point. Right? Is that what put I got? Put a cell camera on it. And put a cell camera on it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, honestly, man, I've been looking for a piece of property in Kentucky, uh, and I can't afford, like, a crazy big property, probably 40 to 60 acres. So this was, like, really interesting to me because I've never been able to hunt over corn. You know, we've been able to pour corn out uh, during the off-season for trail cameras and situations, and I don't even usually do that. It's just minerals that we're putting out, but – uh, this definitely helps me. I wasn't even thinking about just hunting that smaller property and then being able to manipulate it in different ways. Um, kind of creative thinking. It's good stuff. Yeah. Um, and there, once again, I mean, like, honestly, when it comes to hunting over corn, if I was rifle hunting, I'd say you had a better chance of killing a big deer without it. Um, bow hunting without it. I come away with a lot of stories about, seeing a big buck that i couldn't shoot and then when it comes to like really getting one to stand still unless you film them you know that that's probably the only time i would say it's like easier um but you know if you had a small property in tennessee and you know there's definitely some properties that wouldn't even have deer on them if you didn't have corn but uh i guess i'm going off on another tangent <laughs> not at all, not at <laughs> to be honest, all man <laughs> yeah it's a it's an hour late for you over there so we'll uh yeah, yeah. We'll, i get sleepy and start rambling real bad that's all right <laughs> that's all right hey tell us where uh where everybody can find your stuff at and find the ugly crying and the corn piles and all that stuff uh have bow will travel on youtube have bow will travel on facebook and we kind of switched it up for instagram let's have bow will travel on there <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome man y'all give tanner a follow on all those things and uh um prepare to to laugh at some of your off-season funny stuff you put out uh the <laughs> one where you shot your wife in your garden or in in the bushes that was hilarious <laughs> have you not seen that adam yeah i haven't seen that one it's perfect it really it's uh it's it's top notch so all right, Tanner. Well, I appreciate you coming on the show, man. And uh, man, good luck this season. Hope you find a lot of big bucks. Yeah, man. You too. Thank you all so much for listening to this week's episode of the Southern Ground Hunting Podcast. As always, a big shout out to all of our partners. That's Go Wild, Spartan Forge, Tethered, New Canoe, and Scree Gear. You can keep up with Southern Ground Hunting by following us on Facebook and Instagram, or you can subscribe to us on the YouTube channel. 
And make sure you check out southerngroundhunting.com to pick up some of our merch, hats, t-shirts, stickers, stuff like that. I truly hope you enjoyed this week's episode and we'll see you here again next week. Remember this, God gave you dominion over the birds of the air, the fish of the sea, and the beasts of the earth. So go out and exercise that dominion. We'll talk to you next time.